Right. Well, you know, do you know when when you get high and you I'm not forget about yeah when you when you forget about the outside world like mm-hmm. when 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 you're high in your home watching TV like fully detached mm-hmm. from the current from the present or from the physical and uh-huh. then you think about like oh what would it be like to be walking outside right now or even better you do go outside and you walk right. somewhere and you mm-hmm. see like a car like come by and not not even close but you're like oh danger is real uh the mm-hmm. the, the the present the physical is, is a like we we live in a, a state of constant danger uh, yeah. And I haven't contemplated that. And and so this whole pandemic experience definitely is like contemplating the, what history is, contemplating the fact that we are right. living, that, that, that history is not something that happens in the past. Like we are living through an unknowing present and the mm-hmm. future is unknowable. Nothing mm-hmm. we know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know mm-hmm. what the world is going to lead to in people that say that they know they don't know and so it, it it i don't know it was just a this whole experience has been very humbling in a lot of ways uh in a like in ways that i haven't grappled with because i didn't feel like i felt like i was living in post history you know right 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 no i totally know what you mean um well i, I think I think especially in the U.S., it's easy to think that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I've noticed is like a lot of the artists and filmmakers in the U.S. that are talking about this kind of stuff, about like, uh, you know, seeing time as like cyclical as opposed to linear, seeing like the events of history as like simultaneously compounding and repeating in ways that we in our in our individual lives have such a hard time comprehending yeah um like a lot of that comes from people who are who are either bicultural or immigrated here i guess you mm-hmm. know that still falls under bicultural but like um it's interesting because i think i always talk about like comedy in uh dead empires are like so much funnier than <laughs> the sure. u.s um and I think because it comes with like a nihilism and, and, and embracing of the absurdism of like the dream of your aspirations and your like, I don't know, the, 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 the dream of your homeland being like on the up and up is completely broken. Right. And when that happens and you're like really thrown into reality and reality yeah. is literally just like physically what is around you. You know what I mean? Totally. Which is like... This is like comes back to the matrix theory of just like, you know, ultimately the simulation is like all of these fucking social contract constructs that we have built for ourselves. And then these are the things that are falling apart. What's interesting to me is how dire the environmental situation is. Sure. So like, it's funny because there are like so many periods of history when people were like, we are at the end of history. We are at the end of history. And it's because of like nukes. It's because of like the industrial revolution, like different things like that. But like, you know, 
every time I check myself to be like, no, nah, people have thought this before. Like, we'll make it through right. and shit. And then I think, like, but, like, the buck has to stop somewhere. Yeah, the, the, the empirical is um, way too vivid, way too real mm-hmm. to not, to, to, to ignore, like, you know, I think it's alarmism when the Seventh-day Adventists tell you that the world is going to end in 1865 on May 31st. But, like, right. when the world is hotter than it was when we were growing up, like, mm-hmm. there's there's empirical data. We're experiencing it. We're the, we're the fra- frog in the boiling pot of water that yeah. started when it was cold. You know, like, it, it, so, yeah, I, and and... I guess that is in line in a maybe in a spin it positively with the idea that we just don't know, right? Like we it, it requires yeah. we requires uh, a lot of smart people to be working really hard, a a, a near universal buy in of the populace. But yeah. honestly, more importantly, and I, I get back to this on a political level, like we need to stop being mad at individual people and yes. their consumption and their, and their mistakes and start being mad at large systems that mm-hmm. are failed us and that mm-hmm. are supposed to protect us. Like, I mean, that goes for climate change. It also goes for COVID. Like stop being mad at like the, the dumb brainwashed person who doesn't want to wear a mask and start being mad at the government that has given us absolutely no protections during this entire situation. Twelve hundred dollars, go fuck yourself. Like go fuck yourself. That's it. Yeah. And 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 no and and not nearly enough money to any of these businesses that have to stay open or else they will go out of business. Like mm-hmm. it is it is it is so shameful. The experience and this is I this is a common thread through American politics is mm-hmm. the the influence of the individual and the uh, are the responsibility of the self outweighs the responsibility of the whole. Whereas, like, that's so fucked. It's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. The individual has almost no ability to change uh, the, you know, the... It has no ability to benefit the, the larger whole. We can, we can do good deeds. We should... Because it, it, you know, but, but even if we didn't, the responsibility lies on the whole, the, the, the machinations of the whole, the system itself to Mm -hmm. protect the individuals. That's where it's like a, it's like a critical mass argument, like for me, where it's like, this comes very similarly to like the individual person not voting because my vote doesn't matter. But then once you get so many people thinking exactly the same way, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Right. Um, and I've, I, So, like, for me, it's a double-edged sword because it, it, it feeds on itself in the sense that the individual, like, the systems aren't going to fix themselves, so individuals feel helpless. And yet, because we are in a society where, like, individualism is just so ingrained... Right. Like, we can never reach the critical mass of individual people creating that kind of whole. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the ir- the grand irony of it all is that individual freedoms would be so much more protected and so much, mean so much more if they, the individual responsibility didn't exist. 
right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. If, if the individual was allowed to be free and pursue like life, liberty, and happiness mm-hmm. uh, rather than have to worry about wh- how they're going to feed their children, mm-hmm. how they're going to pay, like, like if, if, if our government, if our collective, which is really what the government mm-hmm. is, is just like us collectively deciding something, um, if that was capable of taking care of the whole and of the individuals and the individuals would be free to do whatever they want to save the world, you know, to like do, to pursue anything that a could make them happy or potentially make other people happy too. Man, we are, we are already in the weeds. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess we should get into it. Welcome to the... Yeah, right, yeah. Let's uh, fucking do it. All right. Uh, welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. <laughs> bless you, bless you for the pep you put into that. Thank you. <laughs> It was didn't uh, feel fake. Um, I really felt real. Appreciated, felt real. I really appreciated uh, your subconscious desire to uh, pivot energies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, the energy is high now. Uh, this is for those that don't know the podcast where we um, talk about Wikipedia and any tangential topics that may relate to Wikipedia, which is. Uh, pretty much all topics in the known universe. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm I'm joined by my co-host Alex Virgil, uh, who, uh, who despite what the name would imply, discovered the Banach-Tarski paradox in mathematics. Thank you. Um, and of course, as always, I am joined by John Miklas, who allegedly knows facts about Waco. Ruby Ridge, Pan Am 103, Jimmy Hoffa, and the JFK assassination. Of course, in this podcast, we don't have time to get into that, but... I, I will just say George H.W. Bush did JFK assassination. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the only one I'll... That's As if he I'll ever do. has the balls to pull something <laughs> like that off. As you never if. know. You never you know. know every, everyone, everyone thought Jeb would be the one to do it. Um... But, you know, Jeb W Bush didn't want to, and so Dad had to take matters into his own hands. Jeb Bush is the one that took out Chavez in Venezuela. <laughs> oh, I don't man. think. Jeb wouldn't hurt a fly. I love Jeb. Jeb. Jeb I unironically love Jeb Bush. I think no, he's a he good is, man. He is someone who I, I, I wish the best for him. <laughs> yeah. I wish for him to be completely inconsequential in the annals of history. Yeah. Um, but I wish for his individual life and his family uh just the best. One of my one of my all-time favorite Twitter moments uh, is uh Jeb Bush commenting on the most recent Super Bowl halftime show uh which was Shakira and J-Lo and he said best Super Bowl halftime show ever and this old woman commented under and said Jeb it was filthy. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's good. It's good that's, stuff. 
that's just like a mom. Just yeah. a mom half-heartedly trying to keep her teenage children. I just really can't fathom what came over Jeb Bush that he had to comment on an admittedly pretty filthy Super Bowl halftime show. You know, it's like... He has nothing to lose. What does he have to lose? (laughs) Literally, the best thing about him is the fact that he seems human. And I think that just humanizes him more. Oh, it's so good. Jeb Bush. Jeb is a mess. Jeb Jeb. is a mess. (laughs) Uh, So, Verge, do you have any any old business relating to any past topics? You know what's funny is um, I was very uh, disappointed in myself for not having anything last time. So Mm -hmm. I spent a solid like 30 minutes just clicking random article on uh, Micronation's wiki. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, nothing. There is (laughs) nothing of import. Not a single thing that matters to anyone or is even interesting. I think we like we blew our load on the micronations. I feel the same way. I I I probably spent thirty minutes on that micronations wiki site trying to like recreate the magic of it all. And you know, for the most part, that site feels like a lot of dorky dudes making up stuff yeah whereas like uh ceruleus the nation of ceruleus at least was like grounded in reality like had physical space like they owned this house and they claimed the house was there you know there there was something there was something legitimate about its illegitimacy um and the other that site is a wasteland not not good pickings for content um, uh, do you have anything? anything you know, I don't think I do. I think uh, I think I, I don't don't have any new information. Uh, I guess I will take the the moment to um, plug uh, the fact that the podcast is now available still. Yo, woohoo! Continue to be, and we'll continue to be. Um, episodes are coming out Mondays at noon. Yes. Uh, and you can get a hold of us a few different ways. Uh, first is Gmail, uh, Hegelian Friendship Simulator at gmail.com. Uh, likewise, our Instagram handle is Hegelian Friendship Simulator, mm. and Twitter handle is Hegel's Friend Sim. Uh, so please follow us, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Oh, um, uh, give us a five star review on the uh, on the Apple Podcast. Yeah, please please rate and review. Please remember yeah. to subscribe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe and then um, uh, donate to Wikipedia. Uh, yeah, that is. Uh, please please don't forget. Uh, they ask you to donate on the top sometimes, and and you know what? This time maybe click. Sure. Rather than yeah. donating to any, you know. Um, uh, doomed Senate campaigns in Kentucky or South Carolina. Maybe next time, donate to Wikipedia. Donate I don't to know. Wikipedia. I think it might do more good, to be completely honest, than Amy McGrath's Senate bid. So, in the long run, it will. I think so. Yeah. This is this episode's going to have a little bit more work for you to do than <laughs> past ones. The audio levels are going to be wild. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Should we just get into it? Should we just yeah, do the thing? We should we should do the damn thing. Alright. It's me first this time. Yep. Um I have one that I think, John, I know I know you're grappling with the realities of, you know, what's going on around us and it's bumming us out a little bit and sure. this and that. This is gonna raise your spirits. Okay. Um My article today is of a man, a historic figure named Timothy Dexter. Okay. All right. Timothy Dexter was an American businessman noted for his writing and eccentricity. Born in 1747. Okay. And died in 1806. So that should kind of give you. The yeah, U.S. became a country while he was. But he's listed, he's American? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. American. Okay. Um, he was born in the, prov- the province of Massachusetts Bay. Okay. Um, so before anything else, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna say this: the 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 big debate between uh, the big debate amongst people who are familiar with who Timothy Dexter is, uh, is whether he was an absolute lunatic or okay. a complete genius. Yeah, as they as they are, as they are. To me personally, I think that's an inconsequential question. I think the actual question is. Is he an unstoppable force or an immovable object? <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. Yes. And and I think you're gonna there's some great tidbits of true Americanism in this guy's life. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So Dexter was born in Malden in the province of Massachusetts Bay. He had little schooling and dropped out of school to work as a farm laborer at the age of eight. When he was sixteen, he became an apprentice to a leather dresser. Whatever. Cool. Yeah. Whatever. In 1769, he moved to Newburyport, Massachusetts. He married 32-year-old Elizabeth Frothingham, a rich widow, and bought a mansion. Some of his social contemporaries considered him unintelligent, and his obituary considered, in quotes, his intellectual endowments not being of the most exalted stamp. Wow. That's his obituary. That's in his obituary. Yeah, yeah, this is... People said, if you don't know him, this he was a fucking idiot. <laughs> this guy was dumb. At, but, at the end of the American Revolutionary War, he bought large amounts of depreciated continental currency that was worthless at the time. And But after the war was over, the U.S. government made good on its notes at 1% of face value. Uh, while Massachusetts paid its own notes at par. So by the time trade connections resumed, he had amassed, it says a fortune here, based on my cross-examination, it seems like. It was a fortune to a degree, but he made a profit. Yeah, yeah. And this is very much like the trajectory of his whole life. On the right side of the wiki, where it gives you the little box with all the information, the quick info, Yeah. Uh, it says, known for... Multiple accounts of absurd business luck (laughs) (laughs) and eccentricity. So his whole thing is that he's just like pretty like whatever, you know, didn't come from any like lower echelons of society, so to speak. But he had a huge chip on his shoulder and just wanted to be like considered, you know, the elite, one of the elite. So that's pretty much his entire thesis in life is just to be like accepted by the social elite. 
Right. But because he was largely uneducated, his business sense was considered peculiar, and all of the other like upper echelon people who did not want to socialize with him started fucking with him and giving him like really terrible business advice. Um, so the first one, <laughs> the first one was he was advised to send warming pans, which are like flat pans that were made to heat beds mm-hmm. in the winter. He was advised to send those uh, to the West Indies for sale. So AKA the Caribbean. So some dude was fucking with him going like, yo, you should send some warming pans to the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. Um, this advice was a deliberate ploy by other businessmen to get him bankrupted. Uh, but then when he got there, his captain sold them as ladles for the local molasses industry. And he ended up making a huge profit. Oh my God. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love right? that because it, it is such a, an indictment of the global elite, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, this idea that like, Oh, if you're educated, then you obviously know what is like a good business decision or not. And it's like, no, you don't. No, exactly. You don't, you, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so then next, um, and I'm I'm jumping over. Re, my reading is going to jump over to a website called Priceonomics. Uh, the okay. article is the Strange Life of Lord Timothy Dexter. Uh, the Lord was self-proclaimed. Uh, of course. Um, in another instance, a trader maliciously convinced Dexter that there was a great demand for anthracite coal in Newcastle. Unbeknownst to Dexter, a large coal mine already existed there, rendering any foreign shipment useless. There's actually literally a statement called sent like coal to Newcastle, which is basically like a metaphor of like in uselessness. Yes. Yeah, yeah, to send yeah, coal course. to Newcastle. When Dexter arrived, the mine was miraculously on strike and the coal was purchased at a considerable markup. (laughs) Once again, Dexter returned victorious with one barrel and a half of silver. Oh my God. So he's, so he's two for two. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and another time he, uh, just, Collected a ton of stray cats, just like got all the stray cats he could find and sent them to the Caribbean to sell. Um, and the Caribbean, the islands that he went to happened to have a severe rat infestation. So he made another profit. He also hoarded whalebone by mistake. Uh, uh, allegedly 340 tons of whalebone by mistake. How does that but, happen? Yeah, I don't I don't exactly know. Um, <laughs> but he ended up selling them profitably because corsets were all the rage and right when he bought those whale bones, men started wearing corsets as well. Hmm. Um and those are made with like whalebone and baleen. And so yeah. again, happened he just turned a profit on whale bones life so i'm just well i i just i'm fascinated by this guy obviously uh Mm -hmm. i guess i'm coming back to the 
I I want to know more about him being a lunatic on top of mm-hmm. being incredibly lucky. Like I'm very curious about the Lord aspect, and we'll get oh we'll get there. Okay, good. All right, then keep. Going. All right, here's here, here's one more great uh, business decision that he made. He sent a bunch of like mittens, gloves or mittens, to Polynesia. Okay. So another winter item uh, to Polynesia, but literally accidentally happened upon a bunch of Chinese traders who are about to uh, begin an expedition to Siberia. <laughs> and so they bought all of them. <laughs> and again, he came out ahead selling winter gloves in Polynesia. Um, so at this point, the other, like, high-class socialites were fucking pissed. They, yeah. like, hated this guy because they were he was beating them at their own game. He and, but, and they wanted nothing to do with him. And this is, like, New England high society. So, like, in, in what was to become the United States, he's, like, you know, right in the center of it all. Um, and uh, he had his wife and his, and his adopted children... Uh, but his relationship with them began to sour, which I assume came from his, you know, latent megalomania. <laughs> yeah. Um, but <laughs> this is great. It says his relationship with his wife, daughter and son also suffered. This became evident when he started telling visitors that his wife had died, despite the fact that she was still alive. And that the woman who frequented the building was simply her ghost. Awesome. So he's awesome. going around telling people his, his very much alive wife is a ghost. I love that lie. I think that, that that lie is pretty impenetrable in a kind of a roundabout kind of way. Where it's like, nope, that's a ghost. That oh, is a ghost. a ghost. What are you talking about? My wife is dead. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> in another in one notable episode Dexter faked his own death to see how people would react yep about 3000 people attended Dexter's mock wake uh and <laughs> and Dexter was there hidden but he did not see his wife cry and after he revealed the hoax he caned her for not grieving his death sufficiently. So this is where... I, I, I can't describe him as a, a great guy. <laughs> well, so, I, you know, I think um, very rarely does someone get the credence that they might actually be the main character mm-hmm. of the Earth. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. like... Everything about this guy makes me feel like he he kind of reminds me of Forrest Gump in a way. Just every like the, like the storybooking of it all. He mm-hmm. really does feel like like maybe maybe the earth like the entire story of the world is just about this guy. I'm not I'm not unconvinced of it. Exactly, which is what I love most about him. You know, rap songs could very much very literally describe his lifestyle of like thanks to all my haters i am just continuing to fucking yeah (laughs) blow the fuck up all right 
Lord Timothy Dexter knew that to achieve his ultimate goal of immortality, he'd have to follow in the footsteps of every great man before him and publish a memoir. Despite his complete lack of knowledge or care for writing and penmanship, he set out to compose a work that would outwit Shakespeare and rival the learnedness of Milton. The title of his piece is A Pickle for the Knowing Ones or Plain Truths in a Homespun Dress. A Pickle for the Knowing Ones or or Plain Truths in a Homespun Dress. This is the title that you have to just look at and contemplate yeah. for hours. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and what's crazy is, depending on the publication, the way they describe that title is like, it's so simply beautiful, or just like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Or plain truths in a homespun dress. Like, for a guy who seems to be completely taken by opulence at least in how other people characterize him this title is like fucking genius yeah yeah it is it is not it there are there are two things it could be one is gibberish and Mm -hmm. one is just truly awe strikingly beautiful and brilliant Mm -hmm. and the more I look at it, the more I think about it, it's not gibberish. It's not. It is, it is explicitly has meaning. Even if the meaning is convoluted and weird and eccentric, it there is meaning. It's not a, a random selection of words strung together. Yeah. That like, is the concerning part. It's like, oh, no, this is a higher wavelength than I even think. This dude is on to something. And what I will say right now is that... Uh, the entire book is available to read for free online. And for anyone who finds it any amount interesting um, or feels that the title is more than gibberish, I implore you to go check it out. Um, because the book is uh, follows no English conventions of language, of literature at all. It is terribly misspelled. And it literally is completely devoid of punctuation. There's no awesome. punctuation at all. It's literally a run-on sentence. Here's the thing is, if it had come out 150 years later, it would fit right into modernism and absurdism. Like, structurally, yeah. conventional. Yeah, no, I mean, I, how is this different at all from Finnegan's Wake? Right? Exactly. Like, it's like, completely indistinguishable. For me, it's like, yeah, very like early 20th century... Joyce and like European writers and then like mid to late 20th century kind of like American yeah you know, some psychedelic yeah um but 150 years prior to that so people argue yeah. that this is like truly just from a lack of education but one thing he does is he capitalizes random words in a sentence which is something that this year I've begun to see like the value in as yeah. a way to to like convey what you're actually trying to say. I uh, think when you, it's so also to me, very, it's very Trumpian too. It is a little bit. It is a yeah. Little bit. Like <laughs> I was nervous to like call this guy my new hero, 
because he does definitely feel just like the other side of the same coin as like someone like Trump. Yeah, I mean, well, and and not to get too in the weeds, but like Trump is also a, an embodiment of America. Like there, oh, you yeah. know, that the, it's an inescapability. We can't we can't detach ourselves from the culture that created that monster. Like that is absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are in the same thread of American heroes, like heroes being used very broadly and very specifically as the protagonist of the story, not like moralistic. He had a distrust of anyone with a college education and he liked to rub their nose in it. So he was very much like the David, um, verse Goliath, so to speak. So he'd just be like, yeah, like I can fucking publish a book. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Um, but what's fucking hilarious is that the entire book is one run-on sentence. Um, and and there are some pretty, pretty left-field assertions about philosophy and economics and the clergy um, and things like that. But again, when you put it in the context of great thinkers during like the age of psychedelics and shit like that, it wouldn't yeah be too far away like he has a whole he has a whole huge paragraph and then right under it in a, in, in its own section just the two words i am you know it's just like dude this yeah. guy fucking kind of maybe got it shit. yeah you know like whenever there's a prophet who says that you know god spoke to him so to speak like whatever physiological uh phenomenon that might have caused that interpretation may have happened to timothy dexter very uh concretely yeah Um, so what's so funny is in the first edition obviously he just kind of like by the way his book ended up being printed eight different times (laughs) that's (laughs) okay like this dude is just like classic forrest gump stumbling into success um and in the second edition, demand was so high that a second edition was printed. This time, at the behest of his editor, Dexter included a full page of punctuation marks at the end. So it's just literally a page with just a bunch of periods, a bunch of commas, oh a bunch of question marks. And then he just, with a simple instruction for the reader, pepper and salt them as you please. That is, uh, like Andy Kaufman esque. Yes, yes. That is true. I mean, that's that that that's real wit. Like that's not. It's again. It's not gibberish. It's not. It's not meaningless. Inconsequentially meaningless. Uh, there's something very too much to that. So here's a here's an Oliver Wendell Holmes quote about him. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes says. I'm afraid that Mr. Whitman and Mr. Emerson must yield the claim of declaring American literary independence to Lord Timothy Dexter, who not only taught his countrymen that they do not need to go to the Herald's College for their titles of nobility, but also that they were at perfect liberty to dispel just as they liked and to write without troubling themselves about punctuation of any kind. Wow. So it's one of those things where it's like, was he just a dude who just had the opportunity to keep putting his shit out? Or is he a dude that like history is sleeping on? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think that he he certainly the the his notability, the reason mm-hmm. that we're here in 2020 still talking about him mm-hmm. is not only because of the things that happened to him. Right. He it also also within him exists some sort of meaning or or um, symbolism, or or he, like he is more important than himself. Yeah. Almost all people who who exist mm-hmm. after they've died, like who have not experienced second death, mm-hmm. exist in that way because they stand for something, because they mm-hmm. mean something. Like there is a connection beyond just like their yeah. the things that happen to them or the things that they do. And so, yeah, I mean, there's clearly something very intriguing, very uh, almost like honorable in a mm-hmm. in a way, and very weird, deeply strange. I, I love it. Yeah, I very immediately put him in my own mental like canon of history. Yeah, like in my mind, I have, and this is totally separate from like science and technology and shit. Like, I have in my mind an artistic canon where there are people like Billie Eilish has put herself in there for me yeah. this summer. Taylor Swift, as you know, has put herself in yeah, this, yeah. this summer, like Tupac, you know? Um, and then of course, as we go back, it, it gets less comical, like James Baldwin, you know, like yeah. fucking Da Vinci and shit like that. I would put him into the canon of prophetic. Hmm uh philosophers people who just reached that moment of understanding what it truly means to be human yeah well and alternatively i mean the thing i go to is that um like almost on the flip side of that is that it also could be perceived as like um the voice of god right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that that like he I mean, the other way that you could take this, rather than he is like this, like force of of sheer humanity and like smarter than the rest, is that no, this is like a like a mentally ill uh, simpleton whose who whose life it was experienced in that way because of some sort of like supernatural force beyond our contemplation or understanding i love that i i am so glad that you are someone who is willing to embrace that thought sure yeah yeah totally yeah (laughs) because i i i absolutely agree like he he probably didn't understand the things that he was thinking and feeling because he is someone who clearly has uh a difficult time articulating himself in a conventional way right so it's like to to tap into the unspeakable truth of existence the way he did being who he is i mean it must have been it must have been alienating as fuck for him right and absolutely annoying as shit for everyone around him <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely um but you know t- like you can't you can't set aside the fact that he caned his wife. 
Well, but yeah, yeah. Milton was a Milt. Even Milton was like a rampant misogynist. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like the the past is amoral. You know, that the mm-hmm. past is is not tied to the 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 personal endeavor to be good. You know, I, I think that it, it, when you when you start to conflate the decisions and ethics and morals that you would instill on yourself onto others, let alone others from a past built around different social values, then then you 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 really lose any of the granularity of the past. Mm-hmm. And 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 there are there are limits to this, right? There are yeah. limits to this. Oh, you know, this is the Confederate statue argument. And mm-hmm. the issue is that we are not just commemorating the past. We are looking at defining a future. And so if you are hamstrung by the ethics of the past, then how can you ever achieve like your moral vision for the future? And so, yes. so, so there. I think that they are, they are separate things. Like to to enjoy and to think about and ponder the life of uh, Thomas Drexler. Did I say it? Timothy Drexler? <laughs> Timothy Dexter. All right, Timothy Dexter. <laughs> I cut, we'll cut that out. We'll cut that part out. Uh, to to nope. <laughs> <laughs> but to to presume and to think about and to enjoy. And appreciate the life of Timothy Dexter is mm-hmm. different than, um, than aligning yourself or marrying yourself to his morals, and mm-hmm. and you can do that and think about it and how it should fa- affect your future while also envisioning a future, envisioning right. a new moral. Um, but w- what's interesting, for example, going back to Milton, is Milton was. A misogynist, which in his time would be like a normal amount misogynistic. Yeah. And yet, like Virginia Woolf, who is fucking Virginia Woolf, regarded his writings as like, oh, this is like a truly asexual Mm -hmm. perspective. And therefore, you have to, you truly do have to separate the art from the artist because what he is writing is truly what i like for example what i consider the canon of the 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 message of truth whether you yeah think of that in terms of god or not whatever you know and so like virginia wolf is smart enough to recognize that what he is writing is actually very beneficial when you're looking at what you want to create for the future totally is the truth in that sense um and so you do have to separate from the fact that, like, he didn't think women should have as many rights. Which yeah. is a difficult thing to talk about. Like, I don't feel great about saying all this stuff, but, like, I do think there is a legitimate truth to that. I would agree. I would agree, and I, I think uh, it's... I think that there is a very big difference between um, celebrating and... Um, and understanding or internalizing or appreciating uh and so um you know i the 
the statue issue i think is is a pretty clear obvious line right where it's mm-hmm. like statues are a celebration they're an honorific exactly yeah. whereas like uh teaching milton in schools mm-hmm. is not in its nature or by its you know in its uh most organic form a celebration of his work it's mm-hmm. an a criticism of his work criticism right. in the very basic sense not like this is good or bad, which is not really what criticism is. More, it, this is an internalization. This is a, an analysis. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the thing that I think, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm speaking in broad terms, but I'm, like, comfortable saying this. Like, that's what I think we lack in the U.S. Con- uh, as a populist, like, in contemporary U.S. is that, like, recognition of, like, the nuance of that. Yeah. You know, which, like, also yeah. goes back to, like, why I think comedy... <laughs> comedy is best in a dead empire because they say some pretty dark shit but they like know where that's coming from yeah and i think our biggest issue about people getting in trouble is because like people don't know where you know they don't understand the nuance of who's saying what and why it's it's which is what leads to like dave Chappelle fucking like leaving his show and shit you know uh it it the the binary element of of an appreciation of of culture however it may come you you can't things are not good or bad like Mm -hmm. that is a a completely false premise that you can somehow you can you can call a movie two thumbs up you know like these so that's the first one and then that is conflated in its own right with good and bad on a moralistic level mm-hmm. so so we've started with quality that's and 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 this is i guess just like the nature of american criticism of culture is that right. it started from a place of well no no it, the original is let me analyze this i want to understand it i am interpreting it this is how i interpret this work mm-hmm. that became i am the arbiter my interpretation is the interpretation of whether it is a of good quality or bad quality. Yeah. And now we're actually even moving into my analysis is whether this is of good upright sto- standing in terms of a moralistic or, or mm-hmm. it, it, this is morally good or this is morally bad. And so we've mm-hmm. conflated all of them and we've decided that now criticism is to say whether something is allowed or not. Yeah. Ah, fucking that. And uh, finally, welcome to the Hegelian (laughs) Friendship Simulator. We did it. We finally reached our All along, all along, I guess it really was just a couple of guys in their late 20s who wanted to say that cancel culture was the problem. That's what this (laughs) podcast is about. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like, that's the tough thing. Like Jordan Peterson, for example, is a great example of what we're talking about right now because to me like his lectures as a professor make total sense as a philosopher my issue with jordan peterson is that he did not amend his tone once it became clear that he was becoming like an alt-right spokesperson right yeah and he would keep saying that like that's not his fault blah 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 but like he never really like 
made an effort to like dispel that which to me is what makes him problematic yeah but like what he but like from a philosophy perspective when he is teaching about it like he's coming at it from a place of like great understanding of what it means to like teach philosophy and shit but but he is like too right-leaning well no but i mean that, that brings up a good point is that like the problem is when he was asked as like he is an analyzer uh and he had a very has a very good ability to like analyze text Mm -hmm. and and speak on it and teach it and then and then because he was so adept at that he was asked to like speak to create his own philosophy Mm -hmm. and that is the stuff that's problematic it's not his interpretation of works, which is a skill. Like that's a skill that people that people that have it, like they're you know, their criticism was an enormous part of the arts. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. it still is. I think that it really isn't the way that it was. Like T. S. Eliot, you know, had multiple not er, not novels, but full works about criticism of of Shakespeare and of the Romantic poets and Coleridge. The Romantic mm-hmm. poet had, you know, a huge, like, uh, hundreds of pages of criticism of, Sha- of Hamlet. Um, so that is a skill in its own right. But then oftentimes a lot of those critics have really terrible reactionary opinions. In it. I mean, Ezra Pound is a great example, too. Casper, if you want a ghost in your house, Casper's a nice one. You probably don't want to go for some other ones because they're kind of mean ghosts, but Casper. Welcome back to the Hegelian <laughs> Friendship Simulator. Um, okay, I've got a, uh, a fun one today um, that's kind of... Got some weird history, but is still a current day thing. Um, okay. The title of the article that I started on is uh, The Darien Gap. Are you familiar the with The Darien Gap. Yeah. Are you familiar with The Darien Gap? No, but it sounds like some hardcore sci-fi shit that I fucking love. Yeah. So, um, The Darien Gap is a 66-mile length of um area in panama that is the only the only undeveloped part of the pan-american highway so the there is a highway system or one single road that goes without stoppages from prudhoe bay alaska all the way to tierra del fuego in argentina you can drive oh. straight from Prudhoe Bay to, um, I'm going to say the name, ya, Ushaya, Ushaya, Argentina, which is in Tierra del Fuego, the southern okay. tip oh, of like South all America. all the way. It's, all yes, the, way. the entirety, you can drive straight on one road, except, except for 66 miles in Panama that is called the Darien Gap. That is in the territory or in the province of Darien. Um, And it is 
like mountainous and there is a, a huge watershed and it's also a rainforest mm-hmm. and has proven to be like just like politically and logistically impossible to oh. uh to build a, a highway through oh i i love i love frontiers man yeah yeah and this one of this it's got it in spades like it is um it is truly just like completely overgrown like un uninhabited or not uninhabited undeveloped territory and so it's still there are multiple um what do they call them like uh like uncontacted tribes in this area are uncontacted Love peoples. It. So there are uh-huh. multiple multiple groups of indigenous people that still live completely traditionally in this area and they've like been unmolested because the highway hasn't come through. Um but the That's the wi- yeah the wild thing is that um th- this highway, this Pan American highway, uh which is it's the longest motorable road in the world, and in the nineteen or in the late eighteen hundreds, like eighteen nineties, mm-hmm. all of the countries of the Americas met and mm-hmm. collectively decided to do this project together, and so cool. it took over like the entirety of the first half, like up until the nineteen fifties, basically, for it to actually go into effect. Interestingly enough, Mexico was the first country to fully finish their part of the of the highway. Love that. Yeah, it rocks. People need uh, to know this. Um, but I just think it's so interesting that you know they cut through the Andes Mountains. They they built the highway over the Panama Canal. You know they through the Amazon, through all the way through Patagonia, and this sixty six miles of land. Is like they were just like nope, that's a bridge too far. Like wow, all of the engineering fe- feats in the world to to handle, and they've like nope, Darien, it's just too much. That is saying something. Yeah. Uh, that being said, there have been crossings. Uh, okay. So in many, so normally, basically, if we were to um, fly to Alaska buy an old jeep or whatever and decide to do this drive um when we got to the town in panama where the darien Mm -hmm. gap begins Mm -hmm. we would have to take a ferry uh this was my question to columbia so you so you have to you put your car on a boat and you take a boat to a a (laughs) colombian port um and (coughs) interestingly enough i thought this was awesome um in the 1990s, there was actually a cruise ferry that would take you across the Darien Gap. And it had like, it was like a cruise ship that would do it. And it had like jacuzzis and bars. And it was like a two week thing or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds awesome. I was thinking yeah. about like what it would have been like in the mid 90s to be on a Panamanian cruise ship crossing the Darien Gap. And I was like, that, it sounds, I, I hate, to say, but it sounded like Jurassic Park to me. I was like, "What? Because what is that? Completely possibly? some Jungle Cruise shit." Yeah. yeah. Because the other thing during this time, the '90s specifically, that area got overtaken by FARC, 
FARC, mm, which is mm-hmm. like the the main Marxist Colombian. The, the Colombian mm-hmm. government fought a war against that militia for like 45 years or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there were multiple crossings, a couple ones of note. Um, in 1961, Dick Doan Chevrolet, which was a Chevrolet dealership in Chicago, paid for three Chevrolet Corvairs to uh-huh. drive through, like to cross the Darien Gap, like <laughs> off-roading, basically. Yeah. Only two made it. And so now oh. the lost Corvair is oh. like a, a landmark for those that are crossing the Darien Gap on foot. Which I think is oh, and you rad. can see it like you can find it. You can find it, yeah. Like I saw a picture of these three, like the first ever Mexican nationals to cross it. There's a picture of them next to the Corvair, which it, it basically I think this whole because it's marshland, so there's quicksand everywhere, like actual, honest to god quicksand. Uh, and so they're like the the car is like half sticking out of the ground, basically. Oh my um, gosh! A, another really interesting one. In 1979, this guy, Arthur Blessett, who is an American evangelist, okay. uh, he carried a cross. He walked the entire Darien Gap carrying a cross. And then I looked this guy up. He has logged 42,000 miles of walking. He has carried his, carried his cross into every country in the world. That's like what? Like twice around the world? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's insane. Uh, so he crossed it. Um, there have also been multiple kidnappings and murders in the Daring Gap. Yeah, that um, right. Mostly because of FARC. Um, in 1991, or no, 93, uh, three new tribes missionaries uh, were di- disappeared on the Panamanian side. And to be honest, these guys, the new, the, I looked these guys up. They specifically targeted these uncontacted peoples Ugh. at trying to convert them to Christianity. So they probably deserved it to be completely I, You know, I never want anyone to get killed, but sometimes you're presumptuous as you, you play with fire. You play yeah. with fire, man. I don't know. Um, they don't then, need that shit. It, and these guys deserved it much less. In 2002, British travelers uh, mm-hmm. were kidnapped by FARC in the Darien Gap while hunting for exotic orchards or orchids sorry so the uh, the orchid game yeah these guys were orchid hunters uh and they were kidnapped but then they were held captive for nine months uh threatened with death and then eventually released unharmed and without ransom being paid just just decided you know these guys were they were just looking for flowers you know like they don't deserve it um, misguided the the fart guys were saying misguided would be the word I would use for mm-hmm. that. So that is the Daring Gap, and I the the thing that I actually found even more fascinating. Uh-huh. Uh This let this page about the Daring Gap led me to the Darien scheme, <laughs> and so the Darien scheme was. Uh, an unsuccessful attempt backed largely by investors of the Kingdom of Scotland to gain wealth and influence by establishing New Caledonia, a colony on the Isthmus of Panama in the late 1690s. So 
Okay. The province of Darien, where the Darien Gap is, and where there are 66 miles, the only 66 miles of the Pan American Highway uh, that is unfinished or under, underdeveloped, is also the only place in the world that the Kingdom of Scotland tried to colonize. <laughs> and and that's why they didn't try after that, because yep. they went to the Darien Gap and said, this colonizing shit is fucking bullshit. So it they, sucks. They, so this is insane. They established New Edinburgh in yeah. the, the Gulf of Darien, um, uh-huh. and they met just absolutely catastrophic ends. Uh, They, what does it say? After just eight months, the colony was abandoned in July 1699, except for six men who were too weak to move. The deaths continued on the ships, and only 300 of the 1,200 settlers survived. A desperate ship from the colony had called in at the Jamaican city of Port Royal, but it was refused assistance on the order of the English government, who feared antagonizing the Spanish. So they they just got absolutely destroyed. And the Darien scheme was the... Uh, what did they say? The... As the Company of Scotland, which is the group, you know, like the mercantile company that right. set to, to set it up, was backed by approximately 20% of all the money circulating in Scotland. Its failure left the entire lowlands in substantial financial ruin and was an important factor in weakening their resistance to the Act of Union. So the Darien scheme, the Scottish colonization of of Darien, where in Panama, is directly the reason why Scotland is currently in the United Kingdom. Why Scotland had to join the United Kingdom because they were broke from this failed colonization. This is like the the ripples of history. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm I have a three quarter chub listening to this. It's so crazy. And I just I like I can't stop thinking about Scot these Scottish people. Like yeah. knowing everything that we know about Scotland today and Scottish people and like the, the image that, that creates and the concept of them trying to colonize the Darien province of Panama, I just, I can't, I can't get it out of my head as it's so perfect as if to have been written. And I'm so yeah. surprised that no, this has not been written about more. It just is incredible. I have never heard of this area. I mean, it, you know, what's funny is like, when you think of Panama, you always think about crossing from the Pacific to the Atlantic. Yeah, you know, sure. Like you think of it as a latitudinal. Well, the, and that that was their that was their their goal. They they thought that if they had an access to both the Atlantic and the Pacific, they yeah. had like a some sort of like it would become crucially important. Basically, this is amazing. I'm so curious, like how how aware current Scots are about like yeah this. I wonder this that too. Moment. That's a very good point because it does, especially yeah. When you think about the um, like the prescience of whether Scotland should be joined with England, like whether the United Kingdom should exist at all, like right. Scottish independence has never been more salient, and yet 
like I wonder if if modern Scots know about the reason, like a major reason why they are tied to the British. Damn, and and the even more like subtle ties to the tiniest little sliver of altitude. Yeah, between North and South America, which is an area of the world that is essentially non-existent to Scottish history otherwise. Right. Yeah, exactly. Holy shit. This is... <laughs> Dude, you have... Man, you really know how to get me with these. This yeah. is some, like, Indiana Jones-ass shit. It really is. It's so fun. Um, I think that And they're... this is, like, this is, like, on the southern tip of Panama. Like, this is, like, right where it connects to South America. It's literally... So, the Darien Gap is literally, like... It starts in Panama and it ends in a Colombian town. So it is the actual thing connecting. And it's just like, okay, prior to like FARC, like FARC didn't exist when Scotland tried to colonize this area. It's just like naturally a treacherous ass place. Yeah, I mean, I think that that um, is absolutely true. I find the the concept that it is the it was the most difficult road to engineer it in the entire Pan-American Highway kind of dubious considering it is the literal connecting tip point of I I think that there is actually a more political reason in that in, 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 in trying to prevent the free travel from the one tip of the Americas to the other you know, right, like, right, I think right. that there is a more, there is more t- nuance to it than just that it's like super uninhabitable, but it is mm-hmm. super uninhabitable. I mean, I really like the steadfast nature of the locals there to like maintain their independence. Um, what? Yeah, I love or this. Or just like not give a fuck about uh, there being a part of the world. This there was a amazing. Great, I'm trying to see. Like in the same way, I like I like very much respect the Sentinelese, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was like, thinking I, about I them respect today. them. It's hard for me to see them as like, you know, behind and all this shit. Like if they only open themselves to like the rest of the world, they would benefit. Blah blah blah. Like it, seeing where the world is at right now, I can't argue with any, you know pre-columbian civilization that is just like yo we've heard about other peoples being absolutely decimated because of this right we're just gonna fucking hold our own i respect that so much yeah it, it is um it is so clear that we you know that I mean, it actually goes into what we were talking about with your subject, like the yeah the the good bad quality not quality the nature of things. Like mm-hmm. when you talk about the nature of things, a light the the depth and the the color and the character of any culture is the exact same. And then when you try and say good quality bad quality. A, it's impossible to do that, and B, right. it is it is imperfect. And then again, you do good morals, bad morals. 
-hmm. And that's even the most dangerous because that's how you end up with like the Nazis saying that Jews are evil, you know, like they're the, Mm -hmm. the, the, that process of criticism on a cultural scale is really, really interesting and obviously really dangerous. And there's obviously you can talk about levels of development, but you have to detach development from any sort of sense of like good, bad in terms of quality exactly. and morals. Yeah, I I mean I absolutely agree. Like this is this is why you know oh God in the most roundabout way, and this like might lose a lot of people right now, but like this is why for me the linguistic like lack of articulation or playfulness, however you interpret it, of Timothy Dexter's writing to me is like that's why it's so valuable is because we are so entrenched in our linguistic and cultural frameworks that we are so able to dismiss other cultures um, who, yeah, they might not have central heating, but may in other ways be way more in tune to what it it actually is the reality of the world that we live in. Yeah. What it is to be alive, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God damn the Darien Gap. That's a place where like I never, I don't need to ever explore myself because yeah. I am not arrogant in that way. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually that is so interesting. I, con- so many of the people that wanted to cross it are British, and I did make a note that British exploration has this like delightful arrogance about it all. You know, yeah. the British love to explore. And they do. They're just in other people's places. Like it's not <laughs> exploration. It's 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 being rude. They're just being rude <laughs> in other people's houses. <laughs> they are. They're just going in and like commenting on your furniture as if you ever asked. You know what I mean? I do take solace in the fact that it, I may be an American, but at least I am not British. Uh, it is. <laughs> Without question, the most boorish, awful culture on this entire stupid world. It's so um, ridiculous. You're you're absolutely right, and that's why again I love British comics so much because they're the people that are very much in it, but recognize it, and so they come at it. They come at criticisms of it from the exact same tone of it. Yeah, exactly. Which to me is just like prime comedy. Yep. Oh my god. Wow, the Darien Gap. Yeah. Um, if to our listeners, if you ever, if you're the exploring type, like please go check it out. But let us know beforehand because we might never hear from you again. Yeah, seriously, look out for Fark. Um, yeah. I don't think they're still active in the Darien Gap, but they're probably like crocodiles or something. If not, <laughs> if not Fark, the Crocs, and the, the Crocs like, will get you. The, the quicksand. Honestly, it's like a game of Pitfall. Remember that game on Tetris? Or uh, not Tetris, on Atari? Yeah. Um, I've never played it myself because I'm slightly too young for that shit. But, um, oh, yeah, this is, this is great. (laughs) This is a, there's like a movie in this. Honestly, we talked about so many things that should be movies. Specifically, um, uh, who, the guy that did Veep, Armando... Yanucci. Yeah, Mano Yanucci. He should do something about Timothy Dexter 
hundred percent sure. He should do something about the Darien scheme. Can you imagine mm-hmm. a Vipified like Darien scheme like the Scots? Like just that would be such that a great be... comedy of errors. Armando Yanucci, I know you listen to this podcast. Like, <laughs> yeah. please look into this. Please look this into both so of those. Yeah. yeah. This is so up your alley. It's your like, steez, you dude. It's two shows for you right here. Like, it really is. Just, like, the folly and arrogance of Western culture on both sides. Yep. God. Incredible. Uh, good stuff, Verge. Wow, this was, a, this was a particularly philosophical one. Yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, dude. Not that I ever, like, take myself too seriously about it, but, like, it's nice to get into these modes every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would have. I wish we were talking about more people that died while pooping, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, this was nice. It was good, and I think uh, I I do really like the the discussion of criticism. I want to continue talking about that in terms of what we're talking about. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting because I do have a recommendation. Yeah, um, let's hear it. Which is um, Daniel. D- Daniel Johnston, mm-hmm. who is an American singer-songwriter and visual artist, he he's he died last year, mm-hmm. um, and is probably most familiar to and famous among Gen Xers. Uh, very like eighties, nineties, super lo-fi music, um. But he he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and he very much seems like someone who would not operate uh, at what you would consider the normal level. Um, and his songs are super simple, but I think John, especially as someone who is um, who listens to music for the lyrics, yeah, uh, a majority of the time, Daniel Johnson has the same a uh, very similar. Uh, simple sincerity to his lyrics that I think kind of actually transcends like you know the pettiness of humanity and like gets and taps into like that fucking you know unspeakable truth of existence kind of shit yeah yeah Um, I I, I feel that I'm uh, familiar enough with Daniel Johnson and and, like the uh who's another Wesley Willis is another one in this genre of like um yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember the name like new music or, or I can't can't remember new what sincerity yeah just this the idea scene. of of people who are not classically trained in music mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. music from and it's it it is uh it's kind of yeah not unlike the Timothy Dexter uh concept of like yeah you, you can see God in many different ways. You know, you can, like, the voice of God works through many, many different um, avenues. It is like, and, and God in, is my conception of human truth, maybe, or human. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's ever present. And it's ever present, particularly in, in oh, what is it, like, those with cracks are the ones where the light shines through, you know? Uh-huh. That kind yep. of element. That's that that's that um paradox. The paradox of what we're talking about. 
Um, you know, I, I feel like to truly um, feel the things that we're talking about requires uh, an amount of pain that you would never want to subject anyone to or yourself to. Um, yep. But uh, there is something to that. And, and, and if, if you're atheist, if you're someone who feels that religion has never done anything for you, it, it's something that like kind of makes you understand the basis and the impetus of creating something like religion. It's some interesting shit. Yeah, man. Um, but, uh, yeah. Well, hey, thank you for listening. Getting to the thank end of this one. This one, yeah, uh, this, wait, this is a real one. Is a real one. Um, we we said it earlier, but we'll say it again. If you want to re- t- reach out to us, you can email us at hegelianfriendshipsimulator at gmail dot com. Uh, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter just by searching the name of the podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, and thank you for listening. Thank yeah. you for listening so far. Yeah, truly, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, and please give us some feedback. But again, only if it's good. Only if it's good. Otherwise, I'll show you Yeah. All right. Talk to you later, everybody. Bye. Thank you.